Good morning. So uh, a week ago, uh, I was at Disney standing in line for a Star Wars thing. And when we got in line, we were the first ones in the park, not the first ones, but we were, it opens up early, us and the bakers sprint to this Star Wars thing. And it was about a mile and a half. We didn't sprint, but felt like it. We got all the way back there, and the line keeps getting further and further away, and we get behind one of these cast members who, who's keeping the line, you know, this is where the line starts, and Pastor Doug asked, uh, how, you know, you're here, how long? I've never seen it this long, three and a half, probably closer to four hours, and Doug wasn't moving. <laughs> we did go, it, 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 it uh... The ride broke down, and so a bunch of people left the line, and then they told us again it broke down, a bunch of people left the line. Um, if you want to see me look like a six-year-old, join me at Country Bear Jamboree in the Magic Kingdom. You want to see Doug look like a six-year-old? Go on anything Star Wars. It's hilarious. So we really, we had a good, a good weekend. It was 36 and windy there, though, and everyone was planning for Florida weather, so a lot of people with their hands inside their shirts. We were prepared. A um, couple things before we get started, and this is really touchy. It's really hard to know. It's really hard to know how to address it because it, it, it may offend some. It may not be enough for others, but I just want to talk to the people that are joining us online. If you're in Florida or Arizona or the Gulf, uh, Gulf Coast, I don't know, Alabama, um, uh, if you're somewhere warm, praise God. I'm so happy for you, and I wish we were there, but we're not. If, however... You've been joining us online only for two years now. It was last weekend, two years ago, that was the first time we had to shut down. And we, look, we've never done this before. We have never done this before. So we, you, you may, everyone has an opinion on it. You may have thought we went too far. Others thought we didn't go far enough. Some people thought we came back to public worship too early. Others thought it was way too late. Um, we understand all that. I can promise you this, that the leadership, every time we made a decision to move or change any of our, of, of our um, response to the whole pandemic thing, it was prayerful, it was deliberate, and it was almost always, it was unanimous. So with that said, those of you who, who, are, who, who remain online only, I'm just asking this. Talk to God and ask him when, when you should be back in fellowship face-to-face. -face. That's all. I know that when my dad was really sick, he had throat cancer, squamous cell cancer on his throat, uh, on his throat. It was, it, it, he had like a goiter, um, and he didn't think anything was wrong. So we, he, he went in, uh, he had all kinds of chemo, all kinds of radiation, and he lost his, taste, his, his sense of taste. And so he used to watch the Food Network to fantasize about food. I couldn't understand it, because it seems like it would be torture. Because to him, a, 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 a glass of Coke tasted like motor oil, is how he said it. Um, but he just loved to watch the Food Network, because it's a joy that he no longer gets to experience, so he can in some way experience it by vicariously through others. Most of you know I'm a big... I'm a big fan of bass fishing. I really enjoy it. I'm not very good at it. But like today, the Bassmaster Elite Series is on, uh, will be streaming today from uh, Lake Santee Cooper. It was, it was you, you don't care about this, but I'm going to give you this detail anyway. Yesterday was canceled because of wind, but today will be day three. Tomorrow will be Championship Monday. 
I like to watch fishing. I know that shows how boring of a man I am. But I like to watch fishing, but it's not the same as fishing. I like to watch church when I'm gone, but it's not the same as church. So to those of you who are, who are online only, we're glad we can provide that service. I do want you to know this, that we are not complete without you, nor are you complete without us. The scripture says, do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. If, if it's not safe yet, okay. Okay, not shaming anybody. But if it's just comfortable, pajama church, sipping on coffee, checking the scores while you're tuning in, there's something to be said about face-to-face, fellowship, koinonia is what scripture calls it. God wants his people to gather. And if we gather virtually, okay. If we gather in person, great. But if we're just gathering for convenience, I'm not sure that's the best. So with that said, I'm sure I offended somebody. I'm sure others think that I should have taken a harder stand. Either way, I'm going to pray, shift gears to this passage that's pretty intense in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we bless you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for your given and written word, your revelation to us. Your scripture tells us that the flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of God remains the same forever. Lord, where would we be without your revelation, without your, without you revealing yourself to us? We would have nothing but nature, nothing but our own experiences, our five senses to tell us that you're there, but you showed us how intimate, how immutable, how powerful, and how gentle you are. And even in this passage, when you take on some of the religious leaders, you are showing mercy to your people. Help me today to speak your words to us so that we see that your burden is light. Join us, be blessed by this, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us see and hear and hearts to receive more than anything else, Lord, what you would have us receive. We pray this in Jesus' name the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. John, great work last week. Thank you. Um, it was, I didn't hear it on Sunday because we were waiting in line for a Star Wars thing. But I heard it Tuesday. Excellent message. Um, and it's really good that that message, it, it, it makes sense that that message came before this one because Jesus talks about that burden, and Pastor John talked about taking, taking our burden, putting it aside, and taking on the burden of Jesus, which is, which is lighter, because he's got mercy, and he's tender, and he's gentle. And then it moves right into this talk about the Sabbath rules, actually people trying to, kind of stalking Jesus and trying to find him doing something wrong, and it ends up being about the Sabbath. What we don't understand if you were in the CRC 40 or 50 years ago, you might have some understanding, but what we don't understand is how big of a deal Sabbath observance was to the first century Jewish people. It set them apart. It made them different than everybody else. The food laws, circumcision, and Sabbath observance. Those three things told you you were Jewish. Temple worship, 
Synagogue worship, yes, but those things set you apart. Those things you knew that you're different than everybody else on the planet because of those three things. And we've seen Jesus interacting with teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then the, the scribes, those, those experts in the law. We, we, we've seen him interact, and they, they've gotten upset already. I mean, when he, when he healed the man who was paralyzed, the paralytic who they dropped down through the ceiling, and he said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, young man, pick up your mat and walk. He just claimed to be God because he says, I have the authority to forgive sins. That, to them, to the, to the people that are not followers of Jesus, but the people that are the religious experts, that to them was blasphemy. He is claiming to be God. That he should be stoned for. But they didn't plot to kill him then. They were upset. They were frustrated. And they're looking for a way to trap him. But nevertheless, they haven't plotted to kill him yet. But it was a Sabbath thing that led them to the point where this man has to die. Now, I don't know what that would be in our culture. I don't know what that would be within Christianity. I, I really don't. Where we want, where we, it's such a big deal that if you change that, we're going to excommunicate you or kill you. I don't know if there is anything. I don't know if we're as passionate about um, what it means to be the people of God as the people of God were then. But I do know that Jesus takes it on. And he doesn't pull any punches. And it angers them. It reads like this. At that time, this is right after rest for the weary. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. So let's just picture this. There's certain laws on the Sabbath. There's only so far you can travel on the Sabbath without it being considered work. And so, but in between each field of, of if you're not right in the metro area, which is more like a village than we think of as a city, um, then all the farmers had their fields and there were paths, not walls typically, but paths that you could walk amongst the different properties. So just ways of getting from one place to another without trespassing, so to speak. And it was legal to pick heads of grain from someone else's farm uh, on the edge. You're not supposed to go in and take some of the, the, the heart of the crop, but even after harvest, you would leave the edges and the corners of the field so that the poor and the disenfranchised and those whose, whose crops got eaten up by locusts or something like that, they had grain to harvest so they could feed their families. Just part of the deal. So I know that when I was growing up, my grandpa, um, we were leaving uh, Cordial, actually it's Cobb, Georgia, we were leaving Cordial and going back to Albany, and we were on dirt roads, and um, my grandpa pulled off on the side of a road at a, in a watermelon patch, and just went over and cut a watermelon, put it in the back of the truck. He didn't own that land, but he knew the farmer, and the farmer said, help yourself anytime, especially if you've got family in town. So it was, it was something that it just, you just do. So Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they are hungry. I don't know how long it's been since they've eaten, but they would just grab the top of the grain, kind of put it between their fingers, pull it off, put it in their hands, do this with it, and it separates the chaff from the wheat. They kind of Think about sunflower seeds in a way. It's, they're much smaller, but you know how you take the shell off, and then you have that little seed? That's what they're doing. They're just snacking. They're just kind of crunching on something. 
Rest assured, if Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God with skin on, he's walking with his disciples. Rest assured, if what they were doing was wrong, he would have stopped them. In fact, it is likely, not for sure, but likely that Jesus, as he's walking along, and they're walking along with him, that he's the first one to go out and grab a little head of grain, do this, and kind of nibble on it. Because that would give them permission. Because otherwise, they might be going, we, can we, I'm hungry. Can I get a snack? What do, you, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Well, you asked Jesus. No, you asked Jesus. I mean, I can just see these young men trying to figure out, is this okay? And what they may or may not know is that they've got Pharisees following right behind them. Now, they didn't always go out. If you live in an association neighborhood, you know how this can go sometimes, and I hope it's not you, but people that drive around their association trying to find people in violation so that they can then send them a certified letter to, um, it would be, I think, I just think it would be much better to knock on a door and say, hey, we're neighbors, this, I don't want you to get in trouble. But these guys were, they were stalking them because they're looking. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, I just love this because he, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now, if you want to look that up, that's 1 Samuel 21, 6 in that area, and the priest that allowed them to eat the consecrated bread in the house of God was Ahimelech. And then he goes on. He says, or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that, that one greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So if you want to, priests eating, or priests working, we, we deal with this today. Those of us who are, who are strong Sabbatarians, who believe that don't mow your lawn on Sunday, don't, don't do work, set things aside, prepare your meal in advance. Some of us that are, don't watch TV, some of us that are, that are all in on that. If you're all in, great. If it's a way that you're, you're saying to the Lord that you are Lord and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you so that I don't have to labor, awesome. But you know your pastors work on the Lord's Day, right? Sunday's not my Sabbath. In fact, today I won't get home till after 5 o'clock. It will be a long, hard, good day. That's what he's saying there. And if you want to look up that reference, it's from Numbers 28. But when he says, if you knew what it meant, when the scripture says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that's Hosea 6.6. 6. And that is the heart of the gospel of God. That God's desire, I mean, what does God need with a, with, a, with a slain lamb? Or with consecrated bread left at the temple? What does God need with a slaughtered goat? Or a killed bird? What, what does God need from sacrifice? I mean, is God hungry? Is God's desire that you give me something? If I'm God, I want you to kill these animals so that I can consume them and nurture my soul? No, he's God. 
The, the reason he asks for those sacrifices in the Old Testament, there, there's a lot of reasons, but some of them were, were, I want you to trust me by giving me what is precious to you. But there are times in our lives when we do things for God because we feel obligated, and that's sacrifice, but it's not offering. See, all Offerings require sacrifice, but not all sacrifices are offerings. Just like all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. So if you miss that verse, if you miss that idea, then you miss what Jesus is saying. I require or I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The, the rituals of Sabbath observance, the rituals of temple worship, the rituals of day-to-day life and how to be faithful to God, the, the, the burdens that, that we take onto ourselves, that, that the Pharisees in particular, that they put on the people so that the, the, to help the people understand how to stay faithful to God on the Sabbath because God said, the Sabbath is holy to me. On the seventh day, God rested. He says, do not, you don't do any work. You don't let anyone else do any work. You're, you're oxen and they don't do any work. Nothing. Why? Why is God demanding that nothing get done? Well, as a couple of reasons. One, to give you a break. Work six days, rest one, let God take care of it. But we sometimes think we're so important that we have to toil and labor because God's not going to get it done without me. We're trying to prove sometimes how faithful we are to God by not doing this, not doing this, not doing this, not doing this. There was a, there was a Christian comedian years ago back in the 80s named Mike Warnke. And he had this little thing. He said, he, he goes, some of you Christians, you look like you've been baptized in vinegar. He says, you, you, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, go to newspa- or I don't read the newspaper, I don't go to movies, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. And praise God, if you get saved, you can have all the fun I'm having. It's kind of like the Pharisees. They thought they were being faithful. But in actuality, they were putting burdens on people that keeps them from God. It makes them afraid of being caught, afraid of being found out, afraid of being told that they're not worthy of the love of God. And Jesus right here quotes one of his prophets, Hosea, in chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I do not desire sacrifice, but mercy. And these shepherds of the people of God, these, these pastors of the time, were trying to figure out how to, how to hold power over their people and even exercise that power over the Son of God and his most faithful followers. And Jesus calls them on it hard. He quotes scripture to them. And then going on from there, he went to their synagogue And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they said to him, is it lawful to heal on on the Sabbath? Think about how exploitative this is. They go into their synagogue. These are the Pharisees of the area. They're not temple, they're not, they're not working in the temple. They're working in a local synagogue, and they're trying to find a way to trap Jesus. And they just saw him. Ooh, 
And he calls them out. So he goes into the synagogue. And now there's a man there who's not asking anything. He didn't approach Jesus. He didn't approach the Pharisees. There's nothing going on. He's just there to worship God as any other person would. But he has a shriveled hand. Does he have nerve damage that makes your hand claw up? Is it numb? I don't know. But I know that he has a shriveled up hand. And they look at that man and decide they're going to use him against the Son of God. And they say, is it lawful? They're just tempting him to show mercy. You remember when Job, when he went off to Nineveh and he preached the word of God to Nineveh, called them to repent, and they repented? Remember when he's sitting out on the, on the beach and that, that plant was coming up and it shrivels up and he cries out to God, I knew you were going to be merciful. What a terrible thing that God would be merciful. What an awful, horrible thing that the God of the universe would show mercy to those people we hate. They're tempting the, 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 the living word of God, the second person of the Trinity. They're tempting him to do what they know God should do. Show mercy. And the way Jesus does this is absolutely beautiful. He said to them, if any of you has sheep, has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I just want you to know the Essenes, now there's these different groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people that were trying to get the everyday person to keep the law of God, not just in temple worship, but day to day. Very passionate about it. And that's why they had all these rabbinic rules, these, these, these ways, okay, here's what you can do on the Sabbath, here's what you can't do on the Sabbath. They're just trying to help, and they, they think they're doing right. But then you had this group that kind of set themselves apart from everybody else called the Essenes. And the Essenes, um, they, that's where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls in an Essene compound in Qumran. They, they, they collected all these scriptures. They were setting aside, they, they, were, they were purifying themselves away from everybody else, thinking that when the Messiah comes, we'll be his army. And they believed that if your sheep fell into a hole, if your cow got stuck in a lake in a bog, you wait till tomorrow on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees thought, no, 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 no. Those sheep are important. In fact, that sheep might be used for sacrifice later. So if that happens on the Sabbath, it is right to recover. Then you go back to doing nothing on the Sabbath. So Jesus is using their own philosophy against them because they're exploiting a man and trying to use a man to get Jesus to do something that they believe is unlawful and all the attention is going to be, what, what if this man gets healed on the Sabbath and, 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 and they decide that that was unlawful, that Jesus healed him, but also what are they going to do to this man? And Jesus doesn't do any incantation. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't go through any ritual or spiritual or healing rite. R-I-T-E. He just says something that you might say to me if you don't know me and you reach out your right hand to shake my hand and I go, because this one doesn't work. You might go, whoa, whoa. and I got to explain it. It just doesn't work very well. People laugh at it. Okay. He just says this. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. That's it. Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Okay, so Jesus 
stretch out your hand on the Sabbath. But they plot murder on the Sabbath. Which sounds more unlawful to you? This is the turning point in the gospel according to Matthew. Up until then, they were trying to figure out Jesus. They were trying to figure out how to, they they didn't like some of the stuff he said. They were trying to figure out how to control him. They were figuring out how to bring him under their authority so that they control him and they get the credit for whatever he's doing. But now, he broke the Sabbath rules. He needs to die. Take my yoke upon you. My burden's light. They were putting burden on the people. And he called them on it. They were going to exploit a man for their own political and spiritual power. And Jesus wouldn't let them do it. But from this point forward, they're trying to figure out how to kill him. So why is this in, why is this in Scripture? Besides us knowing, and, and we've done a terrible job over this in the last 2,000 years, how, to, how do we make the Pharisees look awful? I don't like how they behaved right here, but they did believe they were doing right. And Jesus corrected them. So, yes, Sabbath. Sabbath is not, we're not made for it, it's made for us. It's okay to be good for nothing for a day. In fact, it's wise to trust that God knows better than we do how life's supposed to work. And all the sacrifices, God does not require or desire sacrifice, but mercy. Why does he have us still offer up our resources? Why does he call us to give our tithes and offerings? What is God going to do with the money? Does God need cash? Of course not. He owns the the cattle on a thousand hilltops. He can sell a cow anytime he wants. He does it to us. Because he wants them to give to God what is valuable to them. So that it's a way of saying, I trust you, Lord, over me. And he does the same thing with us. When Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. So what's he getting at? And those kind of things, that that, that whole idea of of sacrifice. If I'm I'm giving begrudgingly, okay, whatever. God doesn't doesn't need your cash to get get done what God wants to get done. You need, I need to give to God what is valuable to me because then it's an offering with some sacrifice. So we get that part that Jesus going, Hosea told you back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Hosea told you that God's not after the the dead goat. God's after your heart. And the Sabbath thing, we, we can get this, and, and it, 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 we, we get caught up in this stuff. We, we think, okay, this is how, there's a, look, there's an old joke, CRC, I was one for 21 years, so it's okay, I, I can play. Um, CRC guy lives back, uh, backyard to a Catholic guy, okay, they, they, they're fenced in the middle. And the CRC guy comes up, finally got the guts up one day, and went out to his Catholic, his Catholic neighbor, and he said, um... Hey, I'd really appreciate it. He's really good about it. I'd really appreciate it if you didn't mow your lawn on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. And the Catholic man looked to the CRC man and said, okay, I get that. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to, to oblige us if you would just stop eating meat on Fridays. They have their thing. We have our things. But which of them are burdens? Which of those are man-imposed 
I'm not talking about Sabbath rules. I'm talking about things of Christianity, things that are cultural and not necessarily biblical. What are the things that we do today that we put burdens onto people instead of mercy onto people? What are the things that we've decided show how faithful we are to God, but there's really no mention of it from God to us? What are the things where we say, I'm going to please God by not doing this or by doing this. And God says, what do I need with that? Because we can try really hard to do faithful looking things and still hate our neighbor. Still want to curse a certain political party's leaders. There are certain things we, we, can, we can decide to let something about our, we can decide to let something as, 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 as evil and innocent as a virus, because viruses infect, that's what they do. But we can decide to judge our brother or sister based on their response to something none of us really know what's going to happen with. What are burdens Man-placed burden. What is it that, that your pastors impose upon you? I don't know. Because I think whatever I'm telling you, I believe that God wants you to know it. And what is it you place on your pastors or your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors or your unchristian friends? What is it that you put on them that is a burden that doesn't show God's mercy but shows man's exploitation of it. I don't know what they are in you, from you, or around you. But I do know that Jesus says, if he's, to the Jewish people, if he is Lord of the Sabbath, then he is also Lord of everything else in our lives. It was one of the most important things to them. What are the things that you go, you're Christian, you can't do that. Are we sure? There are some things, and they're spelled out very clearly. But there are other things that we go, you're not a good Christian if you do this. You're not a good Christian if you don't do that. Well, you know how I think of the term good Christian. If you're a good Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? You're forgiven by the Lord himself. So if you're a good Christian, you're good at being forgiven. Makes you a pretty bad person. Because you're doing a lot of stuff that you need to be forgiven for. But we put on others what the Pharisees put on their people. We want people who do not know the God we serve to behave as if they did. How can they? But wouldn't it be better if the people who love the God we serve actually behaved like we love the God we serve. We didn't get angry. We didn't judge. If we forgave those who harmed us, if we prayed for our enemies, if we turned the other cheek, if we went the extra mile, all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Instead of expecting others to behave like we don't behave ourselves, what if we started behaving in a way that showed other people who our God is? God changed the world with 12 men who did that. 
and he can change it again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this watershed point in Matthew, this turning point, this place where where Jesus became the enemy of undue burdens on people. Thank you that you, through him, were willing to show us where we get in your way. I pray, Lord, that this week you show us each one new thing, one new burden we place on our children, our spouse, our parents, our friends, our community, our leaders, that isn't something you put on them. Show us what's man-made and show us what comes from you and help us choose that which comes from you and not that which comes from us. We pray this in Jesus' name.